I extend my welcome as well to you this morning. Uh, we're going to be looking at the book of Luke, uh, chapter 2. You'll find that on page 857. If you'd like to read along, you can find that in the book, the blue book that's in the chair or pew. 857, Luke, chapter 2. Beginning with verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone round them and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I will bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. That's the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Lord, we pray that your spirit would open up these words to our hearts, that we would see more uh, of the glory and beauty of Jesus Christ, Lord, that we would rest in him and give ourselves up to him gladly as our Lord and Savior and our Messiah. We ask this for your glory and honor. Amen. So we're asking, who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? And first, we look at when and where he was born to try to get at something of who this Christ is. Now, kids, I want you to imagine watching a puppet show, and it is a an elaborate uh, puppet show. It's a fantastic puppet show with at least 11 puppets on this big stage, and they and it's hilarious. There's a lot of action. So much is going on, and you're just imagining how many people must be on the 
uh, platform above the puppeteers working the puppets, right? I mean, with so much action. But what if you were to take that curtain back where you expect the puppeteers and you saw puppets? And on top of those were the puppeteers working puppets that were working puppets. That'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? Well, that's what we have here in Luke 2. Yeah, I know, you don't believe me. But um, what's going on here is interesting because Augustus, Caesar Augustus, this mighty emperor over the whole Roman Empire, he is exercising his sovereignty. He's showing his greatness in his rule. And one way he does it is by having this registration. It's mentioned four times. Luke makes a big deal about this registration. And so everyone has to be counted and it shows his power that everybody has to be counted. And here in Judea, they have to hustle to their hometowns, the original town they're from. And so he is exercising his sovereignty. But really what's happening, God is exercising his sovereignty to get his son born in the city of Bethlehem because he's the descendant of David. And even though Augustus is trying to exercise his power as the sovereign over his whole empire, God is working his plan whereby his son will be enthroned as the sovereign over the whole world. So really the puppeteer is himself a puppet in that sense. God is working out his plan as he is always doing, working out his plan to save his people and rescue them and bring them ultimately to the new creation where they will reign forever with Christ. That's the real plan. That's the ultimate plan. And so here's this king and yet look where he is born. We, it's translated in, but likely this is just a public shelter with a stable next to it. And the public shelter was so full, they had to take up residence in the, uh, the stable. And here he is put into an animal trough. Amazing. This king born in a room normally reserved for animals. And so the stable was Messiah's first throne. <laughs> a stable. He spent his first night in a barn. This son of David who was to rule the world. And so we still are asking this question, who is this? This king who is born in an animal room. What is God telling us about this king? But not only when and where he was born, but who got the news? Who got the news? The glory of God, the glory of Mount Sinai, the glory that was shown in the, uh, in the giving of the Ten Commandments, this glory appears. But the announcement is not made in Rome to Caesar Augustus. What about Quirinius, the governor of Syria? No angels visited the governor's mansion that night. They went to people who were at the bottom rung of society, the shepherds. The glory that is normally associated with the temple is now outside in the dark with the shepherds. 
And so it's a fulfillment of Mary's words earlier where she says, the thrones are being taken down and the humble are being exalted. Here the humble are exalted. They're the ones to get the news. So you see, he comes to the lowly. He tells us right off that we don't have to bring anything to impress him or be accepted by him. But here's another part of that message. You don't get to bring anything to impress him or be accepted by him. You really wouldn't do that if you knew how bad your resume was, by the way. We don't list our accomplishments to get in the door. That's one of the messages here. He comes to the lowly. Now, you may think with your success curve in high school and college or uh, with your job or promotions or wealth or house that when God comes looking for someone that he wants to be his own, you're one of the Mercedes sitting in the parking lot. You're not the old Chevrolet. That may be what some of you think about yourself. You may think about certain other people. Now, he, she really needs rescue. I mean, look at their life. Look what they've been through. Look at the decisions they've made as opposed to me. This message for the humble and poor, that's good. Those people need that, right? Those humble and poor people need that message. Uh, But I want to jump into an illustration with you. Suppose that you were paid thousands of dollars and you'd have to be paid thousands of dollars to do this. But you are going to do an experiment and you're going to smell 10 of the worst smells known to mankind. 10 jars. That's what you're being paid to do. Okay? So you smell the first one. You almost throw up immediately. Your eyes start watering. Your knees buckle. You're blacking out. Your whole body seizes up. You really think you have to lie down. You sit down. You put your head between your legs. You take deep breaths. Five minutes later, you've recovered your equilibrium. Now, jar two. (laughs) And that's how it goes. You're into the first four jars, and you really don't think you're going to make it. Now, suppose they then start asking you <clears throat> this after you, the same gagging, same nausea, same blackout. They say, now, how would you compare number two with number four? And what would you say? <laughs> you would say, compare them two, four, one, three. They all make my eyes water. They all make me gag. They make me feel like I'm going to die. It doesn't matter how different they are. They're all disgusting. Right? Now, here's the point of the illustration. Each one of us has our own broken shape of how we have refused God. Each one of us. Each one of us has our own shape of how we've ignored his goodness or we failed to thank him. We failed to adore him. We fail to imitate his sacrificial love. We each have our own way that we've made ourselves the most important person in our own thinking and desires. We, we each have our own way in which we've envied others or despised others or looked down our noses at others or even idolized others or used others or, or manipulated others. You want to compare jars? You want to compare jars? You're the Mercedes? No, let's put it bluntly, stink is stink. (laughs) 
Stink is stink. We all come with the same need. And if you could fit God into this illustration, no matter whose jar he, he opens, his eyes burn, he gags, he gets sick at his stomach. However, those are the ones he comes to save. You see? The, the, the angel announces a savior for these shepherds. A savior. Is that who you need? A savior. Or do you think that's good for some people? That, that's good for others. I know people that need rescue. I've made great choices in my life. I don't need that rescue. He comes to save he, he, us, he, he smells the severity of our sin sickness. He smells the gangrene of our meanness to others, our indifference to God. And he comes to save us and to bear the punishment of our sin. That's the announcement to these lowly shepherds. And all of us must put ourselves with the shepherds in the dark, light breaking into us in the darkness and see that this is for me. I need this Savior who is Christ the Lord. So that's who got the news. Where did, then did they find this Savior? Where did they find this King? They hear this announcement of the king, but they're given this sign. And the sign, it said he'll be wrapped in swaddling clothes. Well, that's not so much the sign because every baby was wrapped in these kind of uh, cloths. But the fact that he would be found in a manger. And then we read where the shepherds go, and that's exactly what they find. They find him in a manger. They find him in a cow trough, lying in a feed trough. In this animal room. This is an announcement, you see, of who he will be for. The humble, the hungry, the poor. Who would have thought that the king would take this as his place? But notice, this is where you have to find him. You have to find him as the humble one. You have to find him as the servant. You have to find him ultimately as the suffering Lord. It's interesting to compare this with the language of Hebrews 13, where the writer of Hebrews paints the picture of Christ executed outside the city, showing that he was rejected by society, that he was cast away, that he was like refuse, like garbage, cast outside of the city. Bearing the hatred and reproach of people. And then he says, we must go out to him where he is. He becomes so precious to us. We come out and join ourselves to him and bear his reproach with him. Here's the great irony. That's where God is to be found. As the one who has humbled himself for our benefit. We find God as the compassionate one. Who gives himself lavishly away for sinners. Who comes to take flesh so that he can bear their sin away. 
That's where you find God. But as Paul said later in his letter to the Corinthians, this is foolishness to so many. This this isn't the Christ, the Savior I want to serve or, or the King I want to serve. This isn't what I want to hear about my sin. This is not the kind of Lord I want. It's kind of the beauty and beast situation. Where the lady comes and she looks like an impoverished old hag. And the prince at his palace casts her away. And didn't realize this was the great fairy. This is a great queen of power who could have done anything for him. And to us so many times, this is what Jesus seems to be to us. And he's not precious to us. We don't want him. What's interesting is how people responded There were many that responded, it says, they wondered at what the shepherds had said. And Luke draws a contrast between those who were amazed that that the angels appeared and amazed at what the shepherds said. The contrast between them and Mary, who it says, pondered these things. She treasured them in her heart. She pondered them. She, their, their ears were tickled by this, but they... It may have missed their hearts altogether. She took it to heart. She thought about these things. And she didn't always have it right because later it says Mary thought maybe her son was crazy when he had grown up. But we do see her in the final day as one of the disciples of Christ. After he had been raised from the dead and ascended into heaven, his own mother was a disciple and a worshiper. Of Jesus Christ. And here's the beginning of it. Here's the beginning for any of us. Who is this Jesus? Let me contemplate what it means. That God would come. And give his son a king. Who's not in a palace. But in a manger. To humble himself. Who is this God. Who humbles himself. Who is this God. Who gives himself away. And suffers for us. What kind of God? And, and, and in the first place, to, to welcome that and to say, you're a God who can really love me as I am, who sees my sin and sees my weakness and sees my failure, and yet you've come to rescue me. For you might say, as he says, as the angel declares to these shepherds, Unto you is born. It's like a tag of a present. Kids, you go under the tree, and I bet you're not looking as much for other kids' presents as your own, right? Oh, oh, that one's mine. You look, you look, mm-hmm, this one's mine. And many times, as I was a kid, I knew where, if I had eight presents, I knew where every, all eight of them were, right? Every one of them. I knew which ones were mine and which ones weren't mine. They were mine. Okay. Well, here, the angel is saying, this present has your name on it. This present, this Savior, who's Christ the Lord, is for you. 
It's for all the people. Which in the context is likely to all people, Jew and Gentile. But this present is for you shepherds. And this, we're meant to sit there with the shepherds and hear this message is for me. It's got my name on it. God's favor is offered to me. And so will you ponder, will you think in this Christmas and not just let these things pass by, but will you think deeply and long and will you dedicate your life to inspect and discover who this Christ is? Who is this Jesus? That's the question of your life. That's the question to explore every day from now, not only this season, but for this to create a whole new season in your life where every day, that's the question. Who is this Jesus who reveals this God whom I will face one day? Who has made me? This is the God with whom I have to do. This God who has humbled himself, who comes to be born in a stable, in a manger. And I want to add a number four. You're like, oh, shoot, I thought it was over. Um, and it's, it's simply this. What was the news that the angel announced? And what was the response to it? Of course, the news is that there is this Lord. This is a shocking word because that's the word used of Jehovah or Yahweh in the Old Testament. And so here he says, Born in a manger is Lord, Kurios, Yahweh, in a manger? And when he says Savior, the word used in the Old Testament mostly to describe a Savior is God. And so they're divine overtones in Lord and Savior. Messiah speaks about his being anointed, anointed to reveal God, anointed to bring us into favor of God, anointed to be our king and rule us and defeat all of our enemies. This one offered who is Lord and Savior and Christ. And then the response is given to us by the chorus of angels that just appear. This segment of angels, we don't know. I don't know if there was a, a lottery, you know, up there. Who got to go? Who didn't get to go? I don't know how it was. Did, did just in God's providence, just a group of them broke off and say, I'm out of here. I got to go celebrate this. You know, <laughs> I don't know. But a section of angels burst on the scene. And this is the third Christmas carol of Luke. The other two were from people on earth. This one comes down from heaven. Christmas carol sung by the angels themselves. And you could say he was sung into the world. He was praised into the world. And they say, oh, the glory that God deserves. The glory he has gained by giving his son for sinners. That's what is the angels are caught up with. And notice that at the end of this passage, passage the shepherds are glorifying God as well. This has become their life. And when you truly encounter Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done, when this breaks in upon your heart, joy and adoration takes a new position in your life. 
if you have Netflix and maybe you're still one of the ancient ones who gets DVDs, okay, and with Netflix, and you've got the Qui, uh, I mean, the Q, not the Q. I used to call it Quay, but I think it's Q. So your Q is your 20 or 25 DVDs that are lined up, ready to next one to send you, right? Well, and you get, you see a new movie, you put it up to number one, or maybe a new movie comes out and you put it to number one. That's the next one I'm getting. And you see, salvation moves joy and adoration to the top of the queue for you. It moves it into a new position. It's the new definition of your life, the new expression of yourself. And in fact, I'll say to you, when this happens, a new aspect of your vital humanity is restored to you. An aspect of your humanity is restored to you that you begin to enter into the enjoyment of God in Jesus Christ. And this becomes a daily thing. This becomes a growing thing in your life, a deepening thing in your life to bring a new gratitude and happiness in God himself. It's interesting at the very end of Luke, when Jesus is raised from the dead and he's ascended into heaven, it says they return to Jerusalem with this same word, great, great joy. And that's what I hope for each one of you. Great joy. And truly seeing God come to be in a manger. God come to bear our sins. God come to bring us into his favor so that we might have great joy. And that might be the mark of our life. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we praise you and thank you that you have indeed given your son Jesus Christ. To come and take upon himself flesh, to bear away our sin, to restore us to the favor of God, and to give us ultimately his kingdom forever, that we might reign with him in the new heavens and the new earth. Indeed, what a Savior, what a Lord, enable us truly to worship him, even as the angels do. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.